0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Glamour Fearless, Diva Talk Radio. Are you ready? Are you
0: ready? Are you ready. Because i ready to dance? Are you ready? Honey, love has come and gone, and we are moving on. Are you ready to dance, ready. Are you ready to dance with us, baby?
1: Are you ready? Because I'm ready to welcome you to Diabetes Roundtable. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Betik, and I'd like to help empower you to manage your diabetes with confidence, knowledge, and inspiration. Tonight, we're paying tribute to all types of artists, including actors, screenwriters, poets, vocalists, writers, dancers, and more, with an all-star lineup of guests, including the Charlie's Angels of Outreach, poet Lorraine Brooks, actor, screenwriter, author, Peter... Our Arpacela, We Are Diabetes founder Asha Brown, authors Reva Greenberg and Ginger Vieira, Mama Rosemarie, and Grammy Award winning vocalist Lisa Fisher, who's one of the stars of the compelling new drama documentary 20 Feet from Stardom. The film focuses on the lives of backup singers behind some of the greatest musical legends of all time, including Bruce Springsteen, Ray Charles, The Rolling Stones, Bette Midler, and Luther Vandross. The film is both a tribute to the unsung voices of popular music as well as a reflection on the conflicts, sacrifices, and rewards of a career spent harmonizing with others. We chose to salute this film tonight to encourage you to ask for help to back up your diabetes self-care management instead of deciding to go solo. Take it from me, I worked for Luther Vandross for 13 years, and Luther had over 50 people supporting him with his music. But when it came to managing his diabetes, he chose to do it alone, which I feel was a costly mistake. A team approach to managing your diabetes is a great way to overcome some of the challenges that can overwhelm you from time to time. It may help you avoid a diabetes health-related complication. So in the spirit of 20 feet from stardom, here's a bit of superstar advice that I hope you take to heart. Lean on me and the rest of my team when you're not strong and we'll be your friend, we'll help you carry on. After all, we all need someone to lean on. All right, now it's time to read some of the letters from our Diva Talk Radio mailbag. Our first letter tonight is from Patsy in Memphis, Tennessee. Dear Mr. Diva I love last month's poem about body image. I've struggled with my weight my entire life, and I've never felt comfortable in a swimsuit. But that doesn't mean it stops me from enjoying a day in the sun. Please let Lorraine know how much her words meant to me. Ooh, Lorraine Brooks got her first fan mail. I love that, and we certainly will. Thank you, Patsy, for sending us that letter. Um, I really thought that poem was so personal and so powerful, and I know uh, when we get Lorraine on the air, she's certainly going to appreciate hearing your compliments. So thank you for that letter. Our next letter is from Sarah in Seattle. Dear Mr. D, you seem to be interviewing a lot of authors lately. What is this all about? Oh, well, you know, tonight I've got three of them on the line. I'm going to have Peter, who wrote uh, Good Like This. I have Riva Greenberg, who has several books out. And I have Ginger Vieira, who wrote um, emotional, um, emotional Eating. Those are great books. But really, uh, the focus of some of my other podcasts around um, uh, that's focusing on authors is about my newest outreach project called Don't Let Diabetes Kill Romance. It's a campaign to raise awareness for sexual wellness. And the, ki- the campaign actually kicks off in November, but I'm beginning to interview some of the best-selling romance novel writers, including Kim Boykin, uh, Cherry Adder, Kim Law, Robin Carr and Kristen Higgins to help me raise awareness for this subject in a in a tactful way among the community of romance novel writers and their fans and I just thought they would make incredible partners on this topic so that we could really collectively um, address this issue in a way that we're approaching it with respect and being sensitive to people's needs, but also kind of raising the bar and allowing people to talk about this issue so they could overcome some of the obstacles surrounding their self-care. And, you know, at DivaBetic for years now, over eight years, we've been uh, presenting Unorthod- an unorthodox approach to outreach, and one of the topics we've always deal with is love and intimacy. And so I felt like it would be important to kind of continue that through all our social media. So thanks for that uh, letter, Sarah. Okay, our final letter is from Bootsy in Baton Rouge. Okay, Bootsy, what do you got for me? Uh dear Mr. Diva Bedak, are you really going to a pie contest? Why would you do such a thing? I don't understand it. Can you please explain? Oh, all right. Uh, Bootsy, uh, yes, I'm I'm definitely going to a pie contest. I'm going to be at Central Farm Markets in Bethesda, Maryland, over Labor Day weekend for the fourth annual Big Bethesda a Pie Contest. And I'm going to be hosting the Red Roving Carpet in an effort to raise awareness for diabetes. And, you know, I like to do that in unexpected places. Tonight, Today, there's over 79 million people living with pre-diabetes. I think it's time for the mountain to come to the people. The people don't always have to come to the mountain. And I think if there's 79 million people living with pre-diabetes, some of them must like pies. So I'm teaming up with a great educator, Kathy Gold, from the Washington, er D.C. area. We'll be talking about moderation, because most registered dietitians today will tell you it's about having the things you like in moderation. So what does moderation mean? We'll be talking about portion control, and we'll be... um, talking to people about how they've been able to, uh, some of these bakers they have some really great ideas about how you can uh, still make your food flavorable with less sugar, less fat, less salt. So I think it will be a great program. And uh, thanks for that letter, Bootsy. All right, uh, if you have a question and you want to email me, please do at Divabetic at gmail.com. Now, before we get things started, I'd like to encourage you to show your support for our dazzling brand of diabetes outreach by donating today at divabetic.org. Your tax-deductible contributions are greatly appreciated. Sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh a little, learn a lot with Diabetes Roundtable. We often assume that great things are done by those who are blessed with natural talent, genius, and skill. But how many great things could have been done by people who never fully realized their potential? I think many of us, myself included, are capable of much more than we think we are. If you agree and you feel your best work is still hiding inside of you, well, let us help inspire you tonight to pull the potential out of yourself and share it with the world as you meet several amazing artists, starting with my first guest. I love having her on the show. She's a poet, TV host, and jewelry designer, Lorraine Brooks.
2: Hi,
3: Max. How are you?
1: Hello, Lorraine. You got some fan mail from the people. I
3: know. I I, I was so surprised to hear you read that. But, you know, thank you because uh, you, you you do your work sometimes and you don't know how people are really responding to it. And especially when I read my poems on the air, I don't know if anyone is really uh, affected by them. So that was a wonderful a wonderful letter, and I thank her for her support, too. Thank you both.
1: Well, and you actually uh, did me the great honor of reading some of your poems at our Divabetic Barbecue Benefit recently, and that was a great success. And it's just so much fun not only to have you on the podcast, but also to know you in life as well. So I just thank love you, partnering man. with you to raise awareness in a fun new way. Well, as we say, that's back at you. Now, you said at the barbecue you were so excited because you thought Lisa Fisher was going to be at the barbecue. (laughs) And I felt like I totally disappointed you because I meant to say she's going to be on the podcast and she's coming up. But you're familiar with her because you saw 20 Feet from Stardom.
3: I did. And And what did you think? I loved it I I saw it actually almost by accident I had no idea what it was really about But I like documentaries And I of course I like uh, R&B music So I went to see it And I was very surprised to to see That it was about these people Who sang backup as you say For some of the biggest acts in uh, rock and roll history And it's funny because I, I kind of zeroed in on Lisa Fisher Because she reminded me of me and um, uh, so, I, you know, I, I liked her style, and I and I thought that um, uh, she did a great job, and I think that they did a great job in highlighting all the work that these people do behind the scenes. I didn't really know who she was until I saw the movie, but then, of course, after I saw the movie, I realized who she was. Um, so it was wonderful, and I enjoyed it very much. I'm looking forward to hearing her.
1: Yeah, well, she's a superstar, and she does an amazing job supporting other artists and just making them... Come to life in even bigger ways than they already are. And I know people think, how can you make Mick Jagger, Tina Turner, Bett Miller, or Luther Vandross sound better than they do? Well, watch some of the footage of mm. Lisa Fisher on YouTube to find out. Because she is brilliant. I'm excited to have her on the show. I'm also excited because I gave you a copy of a new book that just came out Good Like This um, by Peter Arpacella. And he's a screenwriter, writer, actor, and this was based on a screenwriting, uh, one of his screenplays, and he turned it into a book. What did you think of it? I know you're not done with it, but what's your feeling on it?
3: I have not finished it yet, but what I've read so far I really like. I particularly like the analogy between, uh, I don't want to give too much of the plot away for people who haven't read it yet, but uh, the analogy between the person who struggles with diabetes and someone else who struggles with uh, drug addiction. And I thought that the analogy was really brilliant to sort of the way that they interact with each other and the interplay between one disease and the other, and how people manage and mismanage both. And I, I just, I, I just thought it was brilliant.
1: And you have some experience in in counseling drug addiction.
3: I do. And I'm also but,
1: diabetic, so, <laughs> um,
3: so I could relate to both things. Um, I often, when I teach a class, I do teach a class at uh, at one of the local colleges. And uh, one of the analogies that I always make with my students, and they can understand it because just about everybody knows somebody who has diabetes, and just about everybody knows somebody who has struggled with drugs and alcohol at some point in their life. And I often use that analogy that, it, you know, if you look at drug addiction as a disease similar to diabetes, and then you can kind of relate to how difficult it is to control how difficult it is to admit that you have it and all the uh, other, you know, family issues that go along with it. And it isn't just, you know, about the drug itself. It's also about the way you handle all the things in life, your stress levels and your friends and your relationships. And and in the book, the the main character doesn't really want to tell anybody he has diabetes. So I I just think it was just, I I don't want to say any more about it because I know that people haven't read it yet. But I, I just thought it was a great analogy, and it's one that I use often as well.
1: Well, I just think it's interesting because this podcast almost goes full circle because obviously Lisa and Asha Brown are from the entertainment industry. And, of course, you know, drug addiction, unfortunately, has played a big role in several people's lives or the shortness of several people's lives in that industry. Mm. So it's kind of interesting how all these things are weaving together tonight on the show. but. You know, Lorraine, you're a poet, your your uncle is an amazing artist. You you are an artist on so many levels. You also write and tonight you really wrote a poem that I uh you were um I was fortunate to hear you share it a little bit earlier and I just you know, this the idea of tonight's topic is really talking about artists and expressing ourselves and that's all gonna be part of our Plate Poetry Project coming up in November as well. We'll be really getting people to use poetry or ide- the idea of poetry, we should say, to kind of express some of those thoughts and ideas going on in their head as they journey through life with diabetes. So I'm anxious to hear your poem tonight.
3: Well, um, my poem is inspired by a couple of things. It was inspired by the movie, of course, 20 Feet from Freedom. And that got me to thinking about people who, who sort of live in the background but do really important things nevertheless, even though they're not out there in front of, in front of the public necessarily. And uh, that, it kind of parallels my life because I, I sort of like to stay in the background sometimes. And so uh, I named my poem 20 Feet from Life. Here I stood close to life but somehow not living it fully. I saw the parade and heard the music in muffled tones and colors wanting to ride the ponies and stain my lips on the cotton blue candy. And yet I know I belong. I know I belong in the fife and drum corps banging and clashing loudly in red and gold stripes marching this way and that and carrying the flag of my party. I now know that I can bear witness to the parade and sing along with the music, and the harmony can fill my heart and glide over my lips. The fifes and drums can ring out clearly as the gold and red dazzles me, jazzes me, stings my feet, and causes me to dance. No longer 20 feet from anything, I can rise within my soul and snap my fingers to my own quickening pulse, singing harmony, I am the duop to the baby baby of life, the shalala and dooby doo and shake that thing. I sing background. I sing
1: life. Wow, Lorraine, you are on a roll lately. <laughs> Thank to, uh, you, Max. I love the new angle we're going with this poem. We're, I think we're ready to host our own event at the, in the West Village. What do
3: you think? <laughs> I'm with you. You know that. Anything you want to do, you just, just told me I'm there. Wop.
1: That was really hot. I, I, you got me all up and flustered now, and I'm going to be talking to Lisa Fisher, who's so sexy on the air as well as in person. I'm, I'm already lost right now thinking about I it. I can't wait. Um, just tell everyone quickly you do uh, you also do jewelry so you have uh, you came out with a line of medical alert bracelets that have a diva designed to them. Tell everyone how they could uh, find out more about these designs
3: well i, um, I d- I'm doing uh, diabetes charm bracelets and each charm bracelet has a uh, gray ribbon which is the uh, universal sign for diabetes awareness and they can also have a medical alert um charm that says diabetic if the person desires that. And they are available through um uh through uh, dot org or they're available through my website which is uh L sweet I'm sorry, sweet L dot biz, B I Z sweet L like Lorraine dot Biz. And um uh I would appreciate it if everybody would take a look at them. Thank you, Max.
1: Great. Well, guess what? You're, you're, get, get ready, Lorraine. Fasten your seatbelts because straight ahead it's time to meet an extraordinary vocalist that I'm lucky enough to call a friend. First, let's take a minute and listen to her duet, Whether or Not the World Gets Better with the Legendary Luther Vandross, available on Sony Music. has been singing with the Rolling Stones for over 20 years. Her Gimme Shelter duets with Mick Jagger are highlights for many fans, and her other gigs have been just as impressive. In concerts or recording studios, she's backed up Tina Turner, Luther Vandross, Chaka Khan, Sting, Dolly Parton, Beyonce, Alicia Keys, Aretha Franklin, just to name a few. Please welcome one of the stars of the documentary, 20 Feet from Stardom, Lisa Fisher. (laughs)
0: Hi, (laughs) Matt
1: Oh, thank you so much for being on the show I just have to tell everyone You and I have like such an interesting history together I first (laughs) met, you were one of the first people I met on my first tour the Never Let Me Go tour with Luther Vandross in 1993, I'll never forget it. I got up in Minneapolis and you guys were in a van at the airport and that's when I met you. <laughs> and Ava Cherry was with you too. Then yes. I uh that tour ended and I went back to San Francisco and I was working in theater and at the American Conservatory <laughs> Theater and I got a phone call from a woman looking for um a costume and <laughs> you, you can say showed what up. kind. <laughs> Because you were working with the Rolling Stones and they were doing a Halloween party and it was just right. it was it was so funny I didn't even know it was you on the phone and you walked in I'm like oh my gosh Lisa Fisher then uh, then I got Looking invited to go French to Royal May. Albert I went to Royal Albert Hall and you you flew in from Chicago with the Rolling Stones to do the Royal Albert Hall show which there's footage of yeah. that concert in Twenty Feet from Stardom mm-hmm. right yes. Then we did spot dates with Luther at Westbury Music Hall, I think, when Cindy Malzal was pregnant in 1995, 96. <laughs> and then and I just have to go – this is just so crazy to me. Then I I took a break from Luther and worked for Lionel Richie and went to Europe. And, and Lionel Richie was opening for Tina Turner. And I ran into you <laughs> backstage in Europe working on that too, right? <laughs> Yes. And then finally, unfortunately, or you know, when Luther had the stroke, yeah. you came to the yeah. hospital, and you were there all the time. And then you came mm-hmm. back when we were in uh, rehab, and you would mm-hmm. bring Janice, who's also featured in 20 Feet from Stardom, yeah. and you would do some yeah. singing rehab with Luther. And then mm-hmm. you did the most amazing thing where you and um, Nat Adley Jr. performed for the residents oh. of the Assisted Living. You did that amazing Christmas oh, show for these oh. seniors in an assisted living thing for Luther because <laughs> I asked you to. So oh, I mean, I
0: about
1: that. You're, yeah. you're incredible. I don't even know where to start. But, you know, I will say oh. this. I got so nervous about this interview, I, I had to, like, go all over Facebook and YouTube and just watch and read everything <laughs> about you.
4: you. This movie
1: oh. is extraordinary, this documentary. I mean, everyone... So many more people like Lorraine are hearing about you. What is it like for you right now? Because this is such a unique thing going on. It's pretty
5: interesting. I mean, I, I, you know, when I first was approached by Gil Friesen, who's the producer of the film, it was just an idea in his head. And he, I had gotten a call from uh, Kathy Shanker. Uh, she's Sting's uh, manager. She said, oh, there's this guy named Gil Friesen wants to talk to you And I was like, who's Gil Friesen? And she gave me his history and he, You know, he was the epicent of uh, A&M And he, he was a record guy and, and I was like, oh, that's really cool But I still didn't know very much about him And when I met with him uh, At the hotel in about I think it was like June or July of 2010 We just sat and talked And he was saying, you know, I saw you Singing background for staying, uh, With Joe Laurie and... Uh, Oh, God, and Lila Dialli And I am curious about your lives I was like, oh, you know I I don't think much about it Because it's just what we do, you know But he thought that it would be a great idea To have um, a documentary done about background singers And he was like, well, should we have guys and girls Or just girls I was like, well, you know, it's your party You should, you know, do it the way you see it I said, it would be nice to have men in it, you know he said, "No, I think the women are more interesting." I was like, "Okay, cool. What? If, I mean, it's your thing, you know." And then he asked me for some names and just experiences. And and then after that, he found Morgan Neville, who is the director. Mm-hmm. And between the two of them, they just started doing a bunch of footage on different people and started because they had they still had no idea what the film was going to be about or what direction it was going to go in. It sort of took its form as people started interviewing. And they just put it together, and the first time I saw it was at Sundance, you know, almost two years later.
1: And now there's talk that you women, you might actually go on the road and tour with it?
5: You know, people have been asking about a tour. I honestly don't know if it's something, I've, I've not spoken to any of the other ladies about it, and when I think about, Just what it would take to get that to happen, it would mean organizing everyone's lives, you know, professionally and personally. I just don't. I don't know how that can happen, <laughs> and I don't know who would be brave enough to actually well, pull can, it together. can the <laughs>
1: other women just be on a flat screen? Because, frankly, I mean, betcha by golly, wow, I saw that on YouTube of you recently. Then I saw you doing I Love You, Porgsy. I mean, Lisa Fisher, please. Aww. I mean, we could just put these women, we could put on a CD after you're done performing, and I would be uh, 20 feet closer <laughs> to you. <laughs> I, now, I mean, you, if someone wants to find out about you, there's a whole group out there called Lisa Fisher Rocks on Facebook. They they take pictures of you everywhere. I don't know if you know about this group. And oh, oh, they just yeah. photo- they just <laughs> photographed you at Ibiza the uh, uh, last weekend, and you were doing you were with Elements of Life doing dance music. So oh, you've yeah. done every genre. Have you ever <laughs> done country?
5: Um, a little teeny bit, just maybe some backgrounds here and there. You know, I mean, I love Bonnie Raitt, and I I just you know I just. I love all kinds of music. I just like good music. It doesn't matter what style,
1: what country, it doesn't matter.
5: I just love it when it's good.
1: <laughs> well, you know, and I read somewhere that you said something along the lines of, like, you know, for years as a session singer or vocalist, you know, you've had to kind of morph into the sound of other people. And that, you know, mm-hmm. that's so fascinating. I don't think people realize that. Like, you've appeared on mm-hmm. jingles. I mean, you've done every. You haven't just done records or you know music. You've mm. done uh, jingle commercials like Luther band, you know, like Luther did. So when you go in a studio, you could really they could tell you, Lisa, go more disco, go more jazz, or in the movie like mm. things that you yeah. go give me loneliness, and suddenly you're you're showing us loneliness <laughs> through a vocal. How do you do that?
5: I don't know. I try to. I try my best to just get into. Their mood And just And test things out And just see What vibrates well With people You know I don't I never know really What I'm gonna Really do It's Kind of not really A planned out thing You know They give you Colors and ideas And genres and, and things like that But What comes out Of each person Is such an individual walk You know It's like I think a lot about Tawatha AG And just You know When I think about her And, and her beautiful career and just all the session work she would do because she you know when we were touring a lot of the time she would prefer to stay home because it was just a lot more lucrative and it was just you know she could be at home and have a life and just all that kind of thing and she's the queen of just melding in and and she blends but she also has her own personality which is really strong and gorgeous and it's She's just amazing. And it's like each singer, you know, Robin Clark and Cindy Mizell and Janice Pendarvis, all of them. Kevin Owens, Fonzie Thornton, all of them. Every Each one has their own mark and their own sound. And then how they interpret what a producer or the person that's hiring you wants is such an individual thing. And I think that's the fun part for
1: me is to seeing how everyone just... Uh, makes that come to life, you know? Okay, well, now that you mention all those names, I have to say, like, when I listen to, when I think of uh, you guys in a session, for some reason I think of the beginning of uh, Bad Boy Having a Party by Luther Vandross, because I know all the the men and women you just mentioned, and I love Mm -hmm. and miss Luther's laughter. What, you know, just tell us a little bit about what it was like to be in the studio on a Luther Vandross record Because there were, you just named about six to eight vocalists You didn't, ma- you didn't name Sissy Houston and she was there as well Yes, so absolutely So when you came, later on tonight we're going to be playing like Don't Want to Be a Fool, Since I Lost My Baby And um, mm. Don't You Know That to kind of highlight some of the background vocals what was, what, yeah. Just describe what a session was like, how did that work?
5: It would, well, we would get a call, usually from Fonseca, because he would be doing the vocal contracting, and so he would organize everyone, and Luther would, you know, tell him who he needed for what sound. And, you know, I I, I forgot to mention Brenda White King. She would have was also another amazing uh, alto along with Paul. Exactly, Paulette. And um, so, you know, you get your sopranos, your altos, and uh, a few of the men that knew how to sing well with women, which would be uh, Kevin Owens and uh, Fonzie Thornton. And I know there was a couple of others that I didn't get a chance to sing with, but those would be the two main ones. And Luther sometimes would even sing with us as well. But we would come in he was a stickler for time he did not want us to be late so we all were like really deep about like making it there on time and not being late and it would be like a big family reunion you know he would handwrite all of the the background lyrics and stuff you know and and he had such beautiful handwriting i know
1: you remember his handwriting Just oh no gorgeous. it's incro- that man could have written hallmark cards i mean he it mm-hmm. is like insane writing Gorgeous, it was like like calligraphy
5: It was just so beautiful, he would just quickly Write it out, and I would Look at it on paper, and it wouldn't make Sense to me as words, or as a story But the moment he opened his mouth To sing a part to us, like he would sing He had this thing about Listening, like you always would have to Not try to join in And sing when you didn't know the whole part Right, so You know, we would just sit, and we would listen to each Part, and then we'd try to get it And It it would just be beautiful And once he got what he wanted in the room Then he would have us go in the studio And just sing it back to him And most of the time It would be the first second take You know Because it was something that he wanted about it That wasn't too oversung you know? So he
1: really thought that out. Like I, I think of Till my baby like boop boop boop, boop whatever. But I'm not even. I can't believe I'm singing to you. But you know. Whatever. Yeah, I love it when you sing. <laughs> Come on, Max. But <laughs> when when he would do that, he would write that out to you, or would he sing it to you?
5: He would do both. Like it might be uh, no matter where my baby is, no dear, You know, it wouldn't be just love. Love, love, love. Love. You know, little details like that, where I, I I would miss it if he didn't point it out. You know, and if there was something that he heard on the fly, he would say, okay. He would be, we would be on the other side of the glass, and he'd be sitting at the controls, and he would say, oh, okay, so I want you to sing this. We'd all be listening with the little headphones on, and he would say, okay or whatever it was that he wanted us to do, you know, and we would
1: just kind of repeat it back to him. Okay, now how did now now transition because you were doing the Luther Vandross gig um while you did Rolling Stones. How did that that had to be just completely different, was it or not?
5: Totally different. Um with Luther, I knew exactly where my head was supposed to be at any given point in the show, where my arms, knees, legs, everything. I knew exactly what I was supposed to do sitting in with the rest of the group and what energy I was supposed to be putting out and exactly what notes, even with last-minute changes before we went on stage as far as the music. Um, and it was, there was a comfort in that, the knowingness of that, and that felt great to me. What's different with the Stones Is that it was just totally the opposite It was I had no clue as to what I was doing Nobody was saying Lisa sing this note I would listen to the music And Mick was more About a vibe when we first came You know When I first came And Bernard Fowler was the one that taught me how to sing that music Because he he was loose enough But he was also smart enough To get both sides of the coin You know so he would sort of teach me how to relax and just sing And just get into the vibe of the music and trust my instincts So it was a totally different
1: perspective for me
5: And <laughs> yeah. you, you,
1: I read in an interview that you said Mick Jagger taught you um, That por- performing is not about being perfect It's about being in the moment So that really was yeah. um, Bernard and Mick kind of coaching you Because mm-hmm. you said somewhere else in the article that on the days when you thought you were bad Mick Jagger was like oh my god you were you know let's learn from that that's great let's go with that <laughs> is that true
5: yeah yeah i think he's he doesn't really talk about it he lives it you know what i mean he like sound check is definitely not the energy of show you know what i mean cuz there's no audience there it's just to make sure that we sort of all know where we're going and then when we actually are doing it and living it for the audience is when it's when it's actually performed is when it comes to life, you know. So he doesn't nitpick about like imperfections, unless it's one of those things that really gets on his nerves, you know. If it's, it's a phrasing thing, that he's just like, no, that's not the wrong, en- it's the wrong energy. But when it's the right energy, he's just as happy as a clam,
1: you know. And then 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 he doesn't worry, and he just has a great time. I can't believe it. It's so amazing that you work with <laughs> the stones. You know, there is a big <laughs> common thread though between diabetes and singing, I think, and it's about discipline. I, I yeah. know you have to take care of your voice, and I read somewhere also that you said now that you're over the age of 20, you have to take a little bit more time. You can't be yelling as much <laughs> and going to the clubs as much. What do you, what do, you do to prepare yourself? Because you do give your top performance every night, and you're technically mm. performing much more. Your, your catalog is so in, insane. You're performing mm-hmm. so much more than other people. I'm just curious, what do you have to do, Lisa? Like, what's your daily warm up or your before a show?
5: Yeah, I what I try to do, especially if um, I've been blessed enough to not have to travel that day If I drink a lot of water, I sleep in as late as I can until my body feels like it's ready to wake up So it could be 2 in the afternoon when I wake up Then I'll try to like get a little you know movement going, a little yoga, a little Pilates on the floor, that kind of thing And then uh, about an hour before I have to sing, I'll do a warm-up Usually, I may only get a half hour before... You know? But I'll do a warm up and a light one, just light, just enough to not shock my throat because I had a had an issue in January where I had to stop singing for about six to eight weeks. I had a, a vocal what do you call it? A vocal It was almost like having um it's not a polyp and it's not a node, but it I was, gonna say, was is it a... like um
1: Julie Andrews kind of thing? No, thank God no. Jesus no.
5: Um <laughs> It was a, um, it's almost like having a cold sore or something, like I um, I can't think of the name of it right now, but it was something where I had to be quiet and not talk for like six to eight weeks, which was really hard the
6: first
1: two oh, weeks. Oh, wow. And you're a laugher, <laughs> it, so I can't even imagine yeah. you not being able to laugh. Oh, man, it sucked. It sucked. <laughs> All right, well, we're. I want to ask you two more questions before we have to go. Um, mm-hmm. I have to be cheesy. You know me, Lisa. You've made it to the finals of the TV show, The Voice, and you have to sing a duet with one of the coaches. Who would you prefer to sing a duet with? Is it Adam Levine, Usher, Shakira, Brad Shelton, CeeLo Green, or Christina? Wow.
5: You know, I kind of am... Digging Shakira's sound I mean, I love all their sounds But what I think of when I think of her Is where my voice naturally lays What it would sound like With a particular person But it's funny because I'm so used to doing background That I feel like I could kind of sing with any of them
1: <laughs> You know what I mean? I'm sure you could um,
5: It's like, it's a hard choice I think if, I think the song would
1: dictate What that would be I really do I think well, the song I would love to hear it. you sing with Shakira that would be that was kind of who I was hoping you would say, and I wanted to ask I you finally, you. lisa 'cause you've 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 sung uh backgrounds for men and women, and specifically like luther and and mm-hmm. Mick, but then Tina Turner, what's the difference between being in a camp led by a male versus a female <laughs> um
5: I think in Tina's case, because to me, she's the ultimate uh, female tomboy girl, you know? She's not your fluffy, you know, ouch, I broke a nail chick. You know what I mean? She's a Mm -hmm. rough, strong, beautiful, expressive woman. So it felt very similar to me with her. She, um, She was definitely in control. And knew exactly what she wanted you to do, but she still had to intuit what that was. You know what I mean? It was a certain kind of um, vocal language that she spoke that was before my time. So I had to really kind of learn quickly what that
1: was, you know. Um, very I was talk church- about in the movie how you guys have to be so fast on your feet. A good background vocalist has to Ooh. know it right off the bat or you're out, Right. That's a lot yeah. of
5: pressure, so it what's can coming be. up for
1: you? What's coming up for you
5: um right now i I'm working on music, and I'm just trying to figure out my sound, like what kind of music I would like to do without any pressure without having the pressure of a record company or just 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 having. Having the conversation, the musical conversations with people. Actually, I'm actually here with a, a gentleman now, working on some guitar stuff, and just just trying to work on on a sound and some music, and just see what happens. You know. Oh my
1: gosh, the acoustic v- version of that song you did on guitar on YouTube is a must, must, <laughs> must for people. You're so incredible, <laughs> and you look so sexy. I was just so blown away. You're so beautiful. I you're <laughs> like one of my favorite people of all time. I'm so thrilled you were on the show tonight. Please go see oh. Twenty Feet from Stardom and find out about Lisa Fisher if you don't know it. Lisa, in your honor, we're gonna play one of my favorite songs from um, that you performed on stage with Luther during the Never Let Me Go tour in 1993. <laughs> don't want to be a fool. I love you. <laughs> screenwriter, writer and he's the writer actually of one of my favorite books this summer, Good Like This, please welcome to the show, Peter Arpasala Hi Matt, How are you? Great, and, I, and uh, I you know, talking to Lisa Fisher is a joy, but reading your book was even a greater joy, I enjoyed this book so much, Peter, I'm urging everyone at DivaBetic and our community to go out and get it, I thought it was lovely and as you heard from Lorraine, she was, she's really been touched by it as well I, I was first of all. I, I thank you,
7: and I am touched by your enthusiasm about the story. I'm always humbled when I realize that readers have an experience that that is even close to what I intended it to be. And uh, I also love what um, uh, what uh, uh, Lorraine said because uh, that. Uh, particular thing of how you know mismanaging a condition is very similar to uh, an addict mentality because it's a victim mentality and it's a poor me, poor me, look at me look at me kind of mentality when we actually have choices uh, was one of the key inspirational factors that made me write the story and when I was asked to change it uh, to a different disease because it would have been more commercial, so on and so forth. I had to say, you know, I can change many things, but not this one thing because I think this is the key to this story, or one of the keys to this story. So thank you, thank you, thank you for enjoying it.
1: Well I love that I mean I the lead character, the main character Paul, really does have it all, which of course I love. He's living with diabetes at the beginning and he's a you know, he's like Michael Douglas in Wall Street, right? And yeah. uh We should just tell everyone. So it's about a successful New York City couple, and one's hiding a secret addiction, and the other one, Paul, which I just mentioned, has badly managed disease. And Paul discovers that his wife has a longstanding drug habit, and he's forced to come to terms not only with her denial, but his own denial about his diabetes and redefine his priorities. You know, I was reading your blog on I Am uh, Diabetic, And you were talking a lot about you've been living with type 1 diabetes for a very long time, and you had some really kind of traumatic episodes similar to what our central character, Paul, had. Is that true?
7: Oh, absolutely, yes. I have been in uh, hypoglycemic coma six times, Uh, the first two in my teens and the other four in my late 20s in a very concentrated period, period of madness in my late 20s. And uh, so I have, you know, started my uh, life uh, w- with diabetes when I was seven years old, and the first years were very well managed. I was very lucky, as I wrote in the blogs, um, to have, you know, a family that completely uh, did not pay attention to their pain and tragedy, Um, and focused on, you know, making my life absolutely normal, so I have been very lucky to never have felt not normal, Um, and then uh, in my teens, um, I just, you know, was in love with sailing as I still am, And, and so, you know, the fact that I I had a, um, you know, a passion for sport, kept me naturally on the healthy side of things.
5: You're and a then failure.
7: I, huh, yes. And then I lost my father violently. He killed himself when I was 23, and that kind of uh, triggered a whole series of, you know, difficult things to deal with, with myself, around myself, and uh, and one of the things was that I kind of uh, took diabetes for granted for quite some time, and luckily, um, not all the way, because I am still here and I can share the story, but I have uh, gratefully learned a lot, and I can say that uh, diabetes saved my life.
1: Why would you say that? Uh,
7: very simply, my father was a brilliant, beautiful, uh, loving and beloved man. And very much like Candace in the book, she, he was a um, an addict uh, in the closet. And when the addiction took over and he lost control over it, um, then things just, you know, Spiral down into a very, very dark abyss where he also dragged the entire family. Um, When I found myself after his death uh, kind of, you know, not paying attention to me, simply me, and part of my world is the diabetes component. It's not who I am, but it's something that it's part of my reality. So when I found myself um, ignoring or being in denial or uh, choosing to avoid dealing with uh, diabetes, one morning I woke up after, you know, uh, in a hung- hangover and, and, you know, very foggy and spaced, and these... Images and thoughts just flooded my mind. I saw my father. I saw him uh, snorting cocaine. Wow. And I saw me uh, just going through life carelessly, ignoring diabetes. And the thought that came to mind was, am I really that different? I am using diabetes. He is using uh... uh... you know or has used a drug but by choosing to ignore this piece of my reality i am destroying myself like he was and that was a turning point in uh... in my life because i you know one of the things that his experience taught me is that i should not do what he did uh... and and i Was going down that way using diabetes as an excuse, which looks great because it's a disease, it's not an addiction kind of thing.
1: Mm -hmm. And now in the book, the lead, uh, the central character, Paul, you know, he has two opportunities for that change to happen. One is, um, and I want to talk about both, one was he focuses on running the marathon, uh, and the other one is. you know the character has an opportunity to work on a to be part of a cutting edge research project and i love this part because my favorite character in this book is is denise the um <laughs> the doctor and she's so sympathetic But so many people don't have this opportunity I, I wanted to know did you draw is that character from someone in real life because tell everyone a little bit about denise and the and the opportunity she presents paul
7: Yes, Denise is the, uh, you know, the, the genius-like researcher who carved a path in her professional life uh, focusing on, you, um, you know, chronic endocrine uh, diseases like diabetes, diabetes because she lost bo- both of her parents to a badly managed diabetes. And, uh, and so she's now leading this research project about the effects of stress on diabetes. And why she she uses diabetes is because uh, diabetes is like a truth revealer. You know, if there is a stressful situation, you immediately see it in your blood sugar levels. If the situation is more uh, positive or relaxing, that you see the impact of that on your uh, blood sugar levels. And uh, uh, she is... uh, uh, wanting to find scientific relevance and evidence to the fact that if one manages to have uh control uh, or awareness uh about their stress levels in their life uh, it can greatly help uh the management of uh the condition and um and you know create a better life for the person and the people around them um and uh so this is how you know denise comes into paul's life of course paul uh, you know runs <laughs> fast from her and this idea where the key concept is to be aware uh, anything that changed my life is anything that made me aware of me uh and in particular of diabetes in in this uh in this sense and so uh, Paul goes through this self-discovery journey Helped by Denise And yes, Denise um, I had Denise should be her. played
1: by Angela Lansbury That's who I saw beautiful. I, just, I have to be honest I just saw Denise playing being played by Angela Lansbury That's beautiful Beautiful <laughs> She, you know what I liked about her I just uh, for people listeners who might be wanting contemplating this book as someone who's not living with diabetes. I found this book fascinating because of the insight you gave me based on denise and paul 's relationship and the idea that he was trying, but he he kept having these obstacles he was fighting, fighting, and she the way you wrote the dialogue and the characters you kind of get inside that head and you want you have so much empathy, you really do understand why certain people have such difficulty. But then I felt like he had that breakthrough, and I want to ask you about this because you are an athlete. I mentioned that you're a sailor, and I saw that you used to sail uh, all through your – you were like a junior champion or something like that. But do you think people need to have that kind of focus? Because I think some people living with diabetes would think, I need to run a marathon to get my diabetes into uh, proper management. Uh, You know, in this case, in the book, it really did help him.
7: Yes, but what helped him is not the specific thing. What helped him was to be passionate about something. Um, like and writing.
1: Yes, I love it. It could be
7: anything. It could yeah. be you know, painting, Right, being alive. Uh,
1: so Peter, so many people listening are overwhelmed with their diabetes, and they're just like, I don't have any passion because I could barely get out of the bed in the morning. I don't feel like it. I'm dealing with some kind of like low-grade form of a complication. Compl- 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 from, like, neuropathy to something else. I mean, what do you, you know, I agree with you. I just want to hear what you would say to someone to inspire them right now if they're listening to run and kind of get up and get over.
7: Yeah. I, I would say the same thing Paul's, Paul says to uh, that girl, Emily, when he goes to talk to the children group. Um, and that is, um, if you, I believe that um, there always is something a little something. It doesn't have to be big, it it just needs to be a little something that gives us a little pleasure and that is worth experiencing, you know, during the day. It can be anything and it can be the first building block for a new life, and a life that is filled with, you know, enthusiasm instead of apathy uh excitement instead of depression uh depression often stems you know it, it can be the the result of a chemical imbalance and then you know you have to assess that and and do something about that specific thing uh, and oftentimes it comes from a uh, you know like a, a state of pain that that one feels like it's too big to be dealt with. And so it, it, the person feel, falls into some sort of, uh, I give up, and it's too much, it's too big, there's nothing that I can do. And and that's the, the enemy. Yeah. And if we really look, um, I believe that there always is just a little something that can be the first building block for a life that is... Filled with uh, With some sort of You know Pleasure With some sort of You know Positive feeling And this it, book That was a long like this. answer But I hope it, it No that's know.
1: good But like your book good Like this could be The jumping off point It's available on Amazon.com Alright we're We're ending uh, Soon Shortly And I want to ask you Peter let's get Diva Dishy Because it's Diva Talk Radio You've worked yes. with Tom Cruise You've worked with John Hamm um, Tell me who do you see playing the role of Paul? <laughs> well, you
7: know, um, if I, c- you know, ev- anything being possible, uh, there's a, like a big list. You know, from from Brad Pitt to uh, Ewan McGregor to Mark Ruffalo, Matt Damon, Billy Crudup, uh, Sam Rockwell. I mean, this is a
1: uh,
7: th- this is this is a very juicy role
1: and all right well hold on to that thought because we've got a we've got a caller who laura ann wants to ask you a question peter beautiful, so get ready beautiful. laura yes. ann you're on the you're on diva talk radio with peter arpasella and mr diva bedick what's your question for our author
8: well it's just a comment because i think you're both so inspirational and i want to say that that resonated with me because i've experienced suicidal depressions, and it was something that um inspired me to have passion about things again. And ironically, it was just paying bills, and then eventually that led to my owning cats and art, and now I'm back to where I want to be. So I want to thank oh, you, and so I can't wonderful. wait to read your book.
7: Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, that, that is so wonderful. I, I thank you so much for saying what you just said because I, um, you know, uh, <laughs> when i when i choose work and when i create work i do it to bring joy entertainment and inspiration to people and even one out of 3 is is a gift and when i hear somebody like you say what you just said uh it really is a gift for me thank you
8: well thank you and thank you max cuz you are inspirational i don't know how you do it and you're just amazing both of you thank you so much
1: Thank Thank you, Laura Ann. Thanks for being part of the show tonight. We appreciate it. And Peter, thank you for being a part of the show. Tell everyone how they could get this book, Good Like This.
7: Yes, you can get it on Amazon.com. It's just as simple as that. You type in Good Like This, it'll pop up, and you click, and then then you click again, and then you get it.
1: All right. Thank you for being a part of the show.
7: Who would you want to see as Paul?
1: Who do I want to see as Paul? Yeah. I, I was kind of seeing... Um Tom Cruise. I know he's a little short in stature, but he just seemed to have the right face for it.
7: That that is funny. When I wrote this script, <laughs> he was the person I had in mind.
1: He has a he has a kind of like he does that kind of crunchy confused look really well, and I feel like Paul had a lot of those <laughs> moments in the book. So there's my thought. If you've got an idea, put it on Facebook, and Peter and I will check it out later tonight, and we'll go back and forth. He already agreed to casting Angela Lansbury, which I love. Thank you, Peter, for that. All right, everybody, guess what? Straight ahead, it's time to meet the Charlie's Angels of Outreach, three of the smartest educators from around the country.
4: Ooh, la, la.
1: Tonight, we have joined us Pam Butler from New Orleans. Hello, Pam Butler.
9: Glad to be on.
1: Patricia Addy Gentle from um, Atlanta, Georgia. Hello, Max. I'm glad to be here. And from Washington D.C., it's Janice Harris.
8: Hi, Max. How are you? Great to be on the show this evening.
1: It's great to see you. And guess what? I'm I feel very comfortable around educators tonight because I was just at the A.A.D.E. conference in Philadelphia. Working alongside Patricia gentle uh, Patricia, how did you like the conference?
10: It was wonderful, and you were wonderful as well, Max. You did a wonderful um, depiction of our divabetic efforts. So thank you so much for being there.
1: Well, it was a pleasure, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing Janice and Pam Butler in person sometime soon. But, ladies, it's about to get hot in here. Ole, 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 ole. Because guess what, I, it's our fourth year of podcasting, so I had to turn up the heat on our hot topic and go hot, hot, hot by inviting a very special guest. She's a good friend, author, certified health coach, and Huffington Post columnist, who is going to introduce us to our hot topic tonight. Please welcome Reva Greenberg. Hi, Reva.
2: Hey, Matt. Great to be here.
1: You were also at the A A D E, and Riva, you have so many books I couldn't mention them at the top. <laughs> tell us, tell us, tell us. I know the ABCs of. Am I getting that one right? Because we did the book party on that. A B C's of, of Loving Yourself with Diabetes. A, yeah. yeah. Fifty Diabetes
2: new- Myths and the new one, uh, Diabetes and How To's. So, like Peter said, all you have to do is go on Amazon, put in my name, Riva Greenberg, and they'll all pop up.
1: All right, well, I'm dying for you to tell everyone about one of your recent columns in the Huffington Post. It was a um, column that you titled, How Medicare is Robbing Your Health. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about it, the issue oh, you were talking of course.
2: about? Absolutely. <clears throat> Good title, though, wasn't it? mm mm-hmm. <laughs> um, This is really about um, what happened last month when Medicare uh, took on a price-slashing mm-hmm. program, With glucose meters and strips and um, what they did was uh, only now buying from 18 manufacturers and what we know and what the FDA admits is some of these systems and some of these strips failed accuracy tests Uh, and others their accuracy was uncertain and so what's happening now is there are a number of strips that are entering the marketplace which will not give patients accurate readings when they test their blood sugar. And this is a problem.
1: And Pam Butler from New Orleans, I know you've worked in the hospital setting. You're now working with Novo Nordisk. What's your take on this?
9: Um, Well, speaking as a diabetes educator, we always advocate for patient choice. So I think it's unfortunate that patient choices are limited, Um, but we have to work with what we can and, uh, I, I just like to remind people that what a physician is looking for is how somebody's blood sugars
1: tend to be
9: or how their patterns tend to be, and that drives the doctor's um, therapy decisions. So that's something we have to keep in mind as uh, as Medicare reform uh, kind of shakes itself out and we have to deal with uh, the decisions that get made for us. All right, well, and, you know,
2: uh, Jan,
0: wait, can I, like can I re- respond to that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah,
2: what I'd say, Pam, is, you know, <clears throat> the article I wrote was really about <clears throat> what can we do now to protect the accuracy <clears throat> Sorry, of test strips, uh, and there is something people can do. So almost overnight, uh, a couple of people from the DOC, the Diabetes Online Community, created a website called Stripsafely.com, No, it's not a pole dancing class, which I thought of first when I heard Strip Safely. But (laughs) StripSafely.com gives you a lot of information about what's going on with test strips. And what we really want to do is just have the FDA create a plan so that they can test test strips once they're in the marketplace and keep us safe and keep them accurate. And so on the site, stripsafely.com, if you go there, uh, the best thing you can do is write a letter to the FDA and or your local congressperson, and there are already letters, uh, templates for letters on the site. It's already been done for you. So all you have to do is throw in a few sentences about your own story and why it's important to you to have your strips give you your accurate reading. And you you don't even have to stick the letter in the post. You can email it. It's really easy. It takes 10 minutes. And the more people we can encourage to do this, the more the FDA will, in fact, create a plan to keep our strips accurate and keep us safe.
1: Great. And, Janice, you're in the hospital setting at Howard University Hospital in Washington, D.C. How do you think this affects your patient population?
8: Well, it does have a tremendous effect on our patient population in that some patients will be forced to change the meters that they have become used to, which then in and of itself um, um, creates a time where they may not be familiar with that particular meter and education needs to take place before they can really use it effectively because some elderly people, you know, a small change will, you know, make it difficult for them to adapt to. And so in our area, we really almost, uh, the other nurse in our facility has to pretty much case-manage the uh, changes in the insurance companies and what Medicare is covering, what the Medicare Part D is covering, so that we make sure that we supply the patient with the meter that is covered by their insurance. Because unfortunately, even though we would like patients to have choices, they really don't. It's really based on what their insurance will cover. Because if we give them something that um, is not covered, you know, they're not going to be able to afford it and they're not going to be testing. They have to put out Large sums of money just to get the strip. So it has a great impact, and I don't think the um, when they make these decisions, they realize they don't realize what a small change like that can do to a population.
1: Well, and I want to ask Patricia. I mean, Janice just said it. You know, using strips is costly and expensive. That's one reason you would stop uh, using them. And now we're finding out, thanks to Reva's article and what we could find out on the web as well about strip safety, that a lot of these meters are not uh, accurate. So what is someone to do?
10: Well, Max, uh, my opinion is people who have a diagnosis of diabetes do need to test. I am an advocate for testing, testing frequently. So, um, with that being said, I also am an advocate for having an accurate result. However, testing is the key. And if you have a person who tests consistently with the same meter and same strips, um, you know, same brand of strips, Um, You can see the trends, just as Pam has said. So you're looking to see if that person is running high, running low, or if there is a specific time of day where these trends are occurring. And and even a test strip that does not have um, have good accuracy will give you those trends. However, someone who is using insulin, that could be, a big major factor in uh, inaccurate tests so I do like um, an accurate test strip so I, it, in my opinion it could lead to um, increasing risk for complications with these test strips not uh, providing information that you can really depend on and trust and from my own experience working with people with diagnoses Um, Sometimes they will test with a different meter, and they will come to you and tell you, you know, I don't trust testing because I'm getting readings all over the place. When I test with one brand, I'm getting one reading, and when I test with another brand, I get something that varies at least 60, 70 uh, points. So I don't know what to trust, and I really prefer not to test because of these inaccurate results. So from a patient standpoint, the consumer really needs to know that they have a number they can trust. So um, that that count, is counter, counteractive, yeah. counterproductive when you have someone who you're trying to influence and teach them that testing is hallmark to good diabetes management.
1: Well and Reva, I don't want to start widespread panic, but I could hear a listener right now rolling their eyes going just what uh Patricia said. Why the heck test? If I can't even get an accurate reading. So in on this on your blog post and on the website you mentioned, do they do you list the manufacturer brands of the of the strips that are under question?
2: I do not. Um I imagine you could uh find out from Medicare or do an internet search to try to find out. I don't know exactly who those eighteen 18- uh... choices are but then of course you'd have to know who amongst them were the ones that you know are failing the test and you know i'd just like to say of course you know we want to look at trends and patterns in people's blood sugar but for the four million people on insulin they're basing all their uh... insulin dosing off Mm -hmm. the numbers they get on their meter so in the moment if you're getting numbers that aren't correct you know you could You can make some very poor decisions about how much insulin to take.
1: Absolutely. You know, I think this is a topic we're going to have to revisit again and again. I'd love to invite you to come back and be part of it. Again, Angel, stick around because we've got some games coming up. But thank you, Reva Greenberg, for being on the show tonight. My pleasure, Max. All right. Now there's another diva waiting in the ruins, everybody, and I'm ready to pass the boa and meet the founder of We Are Diabetes. Hello, diva. Oh, hello,
0: diva. It's time to pass the boa and show us your
1: new attitude. Let's meet tonight's real-life diva living with diabetes. Please welcome Asha Brown. Hi, Asha. Hi, Max. That was a great introduction. Let me just tell you, you're fabulous. I I love we are We are Diabetes, and I love you because you're you're actually a child actor.
6: That is correct. Yes, well, I'm not so a child you're, anymore. You're, but
1: yeah. <laughs> but you're keeping our theme alive of artists tonight because you worked with um, Kathleen Turner and Tommy Lee Jones.
6: That's correct. Yes.
1: And what was the name of the movie?
6: Um, The movie that I started out my career in is um, called House of Cards, and I believe it came out in 1992 and uh, was in the Sundance Film Festival, I believe, in 1992.
1: And the interesting thing about this film and when it came out is that's when you were diagnosed with diabetes, around that time?
6: That's correct. I was actually diagnosed uh, two months before we went on um, set to start filming the movie.
1: (laughs) So now how was that? So, I mean... Were you like, I mean, I, there's a whole question about being a child actress to begin with, but number two, like, how did your family and everyone deal with this on the set of a big movie like that? Both of those actors are pretty well known, so this wasn't a small film. This had to be kind of a big production.
6: Yeah, um, you know, in the 90s it was considered um, a, a, a pretty big um, independent film, if you will, and um, it, it's actually got a great following. I still actually get fan mail from, from people um not only in the U.S., but also from Germany and Portugal and all sorts of places. Um, And, you know, it it was uh, definitely a a large year for my family with uh, my type 1 diabetes diagnosis and then um, shuffling us off to North Carolina to start filming. And um, it's interesting because my dad also has type 1 diabetes. So although it was an unfortunate um, event to, to know that their daughter had um, indeed um, been passed on the the genetic disposition of of this chronic illness, they were able to handle it really well. And I think that's honestly why we were still able to move forward with the film. Um, You know, my dad already knew how to take care of himself. And, you know, um, of course they were, it was still chaotic, but they, they were so capable at helping me learn how to take care of myself right away.
1: Wow. You know, I know you were listening earlier when we were talking to Peter because the next chapter of your story gets into a little bit about what we were talking about regarding the book, Good Like This and the denial thing, right? Because you went through a couple years, uh, must have been after that, where you were kind of living in denial around your diabetes?
6: Oh, yes. I could relate to so much of what Peter was saying. Um, It was was amazing to hear his story, and I can't wait to read his book. And, yeah, I mean – Growing up not only as an actress, um, you know, where there's a lot of competition and a lot of emphasis based on image and what you look like, but also growing up as a woman in this society and a type 1 diabetic meant that I was juggling a lot of components, and I got really overwhelmed, especially when I was a teenager with managing my diabetes, and I just wanted to stop thinking about it, so I did. (laughs) I just stopped thinking about it, and I I stopped taking my insulin and unfortunately that became a really addicting behavior and manifested into um, an eating disorder that unfortunately has become fairly common um, within the type 1 diabetic uh, female population as well as the male population. And so I, I struggled in a dark place for almost 10 years of my life with this addiction, if you will, before I was able to seek um, to out the rehabilitation and the support that I needed to get better
1: so tell us a little bit about diabulimia and the treatment because i know people are listening and when we talk about it it's going to sound so seductive that people will want to try to do it so i immediately want to counter with treatment
6: yes yes let's do that um you know diabulimia it is it is very tempting and it seems so easy and um you know thing about it is it's a behavior that is very addicting, and uh, was a teenager, I thought that I'd really found a a secret that I could find to maintain my weight. Unfortunately, um, the trade-off with skipping my insulin was that I felt awful. I lost all of my joy, my death for life, and I have a very hard death for life. (laughs) And I really became a ghost. Um, I felt awful. I I didn't actually feel. I was completely numb. And, um, you know, wandering around with very high blood sugars also made me... Um, start to make other very questionable you know, choices with, with drinking and with who I spent my time with. And I, I, I put myself in a lot of dangerous situations. Um, I also now suffer from a lot of um, long-term complications because of having my blood sugars high for so long. And the treatment for this eating disorder is complicated. It requires really well-trained uh, medical staff people not only who understand how to treat the emotional component of an eating disorder, but also people who understand type 1 diabetes. Um, And what I do with my organization, We Are Diabetes, is I help people who are suffering from what I went through find these, um, you know, capable medical staff and capable treatment centers so that they can get the help that they need as well.
1: And so tell everyone the website again.
6: It's
1: org. And, if you know, your message is do the next best thing. That's one of the mottos you live by. So I know someone out there listening tonight, might be a teenager, might be in their early 20s, obviously is an actress. You are very concerned about your weight. I know a lot of uh, models and dancers who are living with type 1 who you kind of fell into the same path because of it. So, again, uh Stress to everyone out there, so our listeners know, what what they there is help, there is treatment, and you are someone who has survived it, and you're going forward, and you're working now to encourage other women like yourself and your partner on We Are Diabetes to, like, get out there and get help, correct?
6: Yes, absolutely, and it, it may seem um, like a simple message, but it's a powerful message. Do the next best thing. Even if you make mistakes, even if you forget to take your insulin, you know, do the next Dosage. Take your, you know, test your blood sugar. Do the next best thing to get yourself back on track.
1: Do you say that because you know overcoming an eating disorder, eating disorder might take several mistakes before you get it, you get over it, right? Is that part of the okay. whole thing? It's like a 12-step program where sometimes you have it to is. fail and forgive yourself and try again.
6: Yep, you have to allow yourself to make mistakes, to fall down, and be okay with picking yourself back up.
1: Okay, well, we have to get dishy for a second before we play a game. I love Kathleen Turner. Is that voice really deep in person, or it did she just really make it up really for the stage? Did oh, it scare no, exactly. you as a child?
6: Yes, it really was.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I found that funny, but I, I did for some reason. Okay, I, I love still
4: that. <laughs>
1: And now we should tell everyone, you're a beautiful bride, you just got married, you were posting pictures of your gorgeous gown, and you're checking your blood sugar. So how many years have you been, uh, how long have you been married?
6: I've been married five years this September.
1: So everything turned around for you when you started taking care of your health, correct?
6: That is absolutely correct. My life changed, um, you know, a hundred million percent. As soon as I started taking care of myself, I was astounded at how much I could accomplish and and I'm really following the dreams that I, that I had when I was a 5-year-old, so I'm finally, I'm finally fulfilling
1: those. All right. Well, Asha, I love to play games, so put on your 5-year-old pants now because we're going to play okay. one of my favorite games and test your diabetes IQ. We're going to play Diabetes Numerology, but first we're going to listen to a classic Luther Vandross song. And maybe we won't. Well, here's your, this is how we're going to get. Don't you know. the new theme for Diabetes Numerology Games. This is how it works, Asha. I'm going to read aloud a random blood sugar value and a related situation. Then I'll ask you to tell us how you would deal with the situation. The angels will discuss your solution and share some tips. If you're playing along with us tonight, keep in mind that one solution doesn't work for everyone. Check with your doctor to find out what your specific game plan should be and visit divabetic.org for free Diabetes Numerology game load, Game Book Downloads. Asha, did you go to school for the performing arts? I did. Well, guess what? You're in luck because tonight's Diabetes Numerology game is loosely based on the film Fame, starring Irene Cara. We're going all the way back to the 70s, darling, so put on those leg warmers. Your Diabetes Numerology situation is you're about to audition to get into the School of the Performing Arts, and your Diabetes Numerology blood sugar value is 54. What would you do? Well,
6: Max, I carry a very, very large purse or um, sometimes a backpack full of all sorts of diabetes fun and games, and I always carry at least one vial of glucose tabs as well as dried fruits for those really crazy low blood sugars that you need to treat fast. So I would take at least four glucose tabs, and i probably have a good handful of dried fruits and um, hopefully I'd have at least 15 minutes before the audition. Hopefully I'm not testing five minutes before, but um, I would try to test at least 10 minutes after treating that low blood sugar and cross my fingers that it's coming on up.
1: Great job. Let's hear from the angels. Janice, how do you think she did?
8: Fantastic, Max. She did um, cover all the bases. One thing I would add that she probably would want to, add a protein snack in there uh, as well, since she's going to actually uh, be, uh, you know, expending a lot of energy exercising. And it would be a good idea um, if she were to hold off and try and get her blood sugar at least up to 100 before she goes out there and does her audition. Um, But she did fantastic. And, you know, just the signs and symptoms of a low blood sugar, she may would have thought that she's anxious just because she's uh, about to audition, but it could have been just a warning sign for
2: her that her blood sugar was low.
1: And, Pam, going to school with diabetes is somewhat complicated, whether it's high school, kindergarten, or grade school. What should parents of, stu- of children living with diabetes know?
9: Well, great strides have been made, largely um Credited to the American Diabetes Association and there are a multitude of resources to help parents and students uh, plan for that by going to the website of the Diabetes Association, diabetes.org, and then click on the Safe at School uh, tab. But isn't it nice to know that um, kids are now supposed to be taken care of at school, including um, if their insulin um, administration needs some assistance. So. I, 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 it's a lot of progress has been made, and it's all good.
1: All right, and Patricia gentle, what would you like to add?
10: Um, teachers should be abiding by the ADA um, position statement, as as Pam has talked about, and also everyone around the person with diabetes should know that this condition exists and know the warning signs of low blood sugar and how to deal with it just in case the person is not able to be an advocate for himself or herself. Um, Every diva deserves an entourage and all kinds of resources. And one of the things that I like to talk about is wearing some type of identification. When episodes like this do occur and perhaps your entourage is not available or you're with strangers, at least there is some type of identification to alert EMTs or whomever may be there to provide treatment.
1: I say great job, everybody. Awesome. Guess what, for playing our Diabetes Numerology game tonight and helping us raise awareness in a fun new way, you're getting a new Naturals gift basket filled with diabetic-safe, low-glycemic, tooth-friendly sweeteners, a cabbage Cheese gift basket, and a Healthy Chocolate basket from Lily at www.approach-2-healthy-living.com. What do you think of our Diabetes Numerology gift package?
6: I am amazed. That sounds incredible.
1: (laughs) I love you, and you know what? You could still get your dad to accompany you on guitar and sing along to "Summertime," right? Isn't that one of your favorite songs?
6: That's that's my favorite song. It is. It is.
1: I think you would wear it out. You'd probably. You probably. Did you? You obviously got into a performing arts school, correct?
6: I did. Yeah, actually, I I started going to a performing arts school back in high school. I went from uh, regular high school to the uh, finishing off high school at a performing arts school in the in the Midwest.
1: Well, you know, Luther Vandross didn't go to a performing arts school, everyone. He actually worked with the Apollo Theater and joined their amateur uh, sing-along group called Listen My Brother. But before we meet my next guest, I thought we would just listen one more time to a Luther Vandross classic, Since I Lost My Baby, featuring some amazing background vocalists, including Lisa Fisher. If I I'm getting ready to see if my next guest is here And we're waiting to see if Ginger Vieira is going to call in If she doesn't, I want to tell you while I have a second About some of the upcoming things happening at Divabetic this month On Monday the 19th, I'm interviewing award-winning romance novel writer Kim Law On the Mr. Divabetic Show podcast With a special guest, Chef Robert Lewis, a.k.a. The Happy Diabetic This podcast kicks off the Diabetes um, Don't Let Diabetes Kill Romance health campaign Raising Awareness for Sexual wellness. wellness. On Labor Day weekend, I'll be hosting the Red Tomato Carpet, where Janice Harris lives in Washington, D.C., at the fourth annual Bake Bethesda a Pie Contest at Central Farm Markets with my special guest, certified diabetes educator, Kathy Gold. September's Diabetes Roundtable podcast on Tuesday, September 10th, features a salute to Gloria Estefan on the eve of the release of her newest album, The Standards, with album giveaways courtesy of Sony Music. And I'm thrilled to announce that Divabetic is teaming up with Pumpware to create Divabetic glam style picture insulin pump cases. They have, double zipper, uh, they have a double zipper, which makes it easier to, to place the pump in the pack. Pump packs. Uh, feature our size so they could fit all standard pumps, including Medtronic, Animus, and more. And they're big enough also to hold an Omnipod. A donation of 20% will be given to DivaBetic for each of these cases that are sold. Now, I'm going to give you our Mama Rose marita tip because she's on vacation this month all the way back in Rochester, New York. She wanted to add this month that blood glucose control solutions ensure you enjoy accurate testing every time you check your blood sugars. Use diabetes blood sugar control solutions when you open a new box of diabetes test strips and get a, new, or get a new glucose meter or change your glucose meter batteries. This way you could rest assured knowing that your test results are accurate. Find a control solution that matches your blood glucose meter for precise results every time. Asha Brown, what did you think of the show?
6: I had so much fun, Max. Thank you so much for having me.
1: I loved having you on the show. Peter, our our author, Good Like This. How would you like the show tonight?
7: I loved the show. You say my last name perfectly, and uh, (laughs) everything was absolutely fantastic. Thank you.
1: Angels, Pam Butler, looking forward to seeing you in New Orleans. Got anything coming up? Uh, Not right now. Thanks, Matt. Hope for a slow hurricane season. Janice Harris, anything coming up in Washington, D.C.?
8: Well, yes. Just wanted to let the audience uh, know that if you, we have a research study going on at Howard University Hospital of Diabetes Treatment Center. It's a pre-diabetes study. If you're an African American between the ages of 18 and 24 with a diagnosis of diabetes, you can call 202-865-4758. Our chief endocrinologist, Dr. Gail Nunley Bland, is um, the uh, is uh, conducting this study, and there is compensation available for those who qualify.
1: And Patricia Alley Gentle, what's happening in Atlanta, Georgia?
10: In Atlanta on August 24th is Victory Over Diabetes Program, sponsored by the American Diabetes Association, and it's been being held in College Park at the Georgia um, International
1: Convention Center. And I'd like to thank everyone for being a part of the show and tell you listeners that right now we're in the middle middle of 31 days of diabetes numerology games at DivaBetic. You can listen to 31 diabetes numerology game puzzles every day at the DivaBetic blog. Remember, every diva has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Visit DivaBetic's Facebook fan and group pages and check out all my videos on Mr. DivaBetic's YouTube channel. Let's get happy and stay healthy together. Thank you for listening. (laughs)
0: But, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready?
1: That's chumbacasino.com.
5: No purchase necessary. DTW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.